You are now listening to the Claim It Podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. We get into the journey of their life, how they got to where they are today, and how they get through the day today. Because I believe that our feelings of being enough, of being worthy, of being successful, fulfilled, lovable, aren't out there somewhere. Once I have this, do this, be this, look like this, can afford this, then I will feel enough. Nope, it's up to us to claim it for ourselves every single day, sometimes every moment of the day. On today's episode, you guys, I'm so excited. You are going to love Abigail Makepeace. She started out pursuing a career in acting from a pretty young age. We get into that journey and then what put her on the path to becoming a therapist specializing in trauma. She's given a TED Talk recently. She's got a new program out about trauma and healing from trauma. Seriously, love her. Let's get into the episode. Hi, Hi. <laughs> so I always, well, if I know the person personally, but even if I don't know them personally, I sort of start with like how I, how they became into my world. And when I first met you, mm-hmm. uh, because you were dating a friend of mine who you ended up marrying. Yes. Hooray. <laughs> um, you were working as an actress in LA or yeah, I believe you were work actually like working, not just trying to be an actress. <laughs> it felt like a lot of auditioning. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm guessing the life of working to be an actress is, yeah. But, uh, so was that something, uh, did you grow up wanting to be an actress? Mm. Um, I went to a, a theater high school in Florida. And oh, you didn't. For some reason, I thought you grew up in L.A. No, no. I actually grew up in uh, back and forth between Jamaica and Florida. And when I was 16, moved to Los Angeles. And um, so I did theater in high school. And I remember our my summer of ninth grade, my brother and I with my mom, we went to New York to try out some acting for the summer. And he did a lot of modeling and had a lot of success. And then my summer of my 10th grade year, we're like, oh, well, we'll try it LA for the summer. We did New York last year. Let's try it LA this year. So it was like a summer vacation. And we ended up not going back. (laughs) We just stayed. (laughs) And is your brother older or younger? My brother is two years younger than me. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so was that like a family thing that you both or you have a sister as well, right? Did you yeah. all like just start getting into the arts or what? How, why were you even at uh, a high school that was for performing? Yeah, so um, that just kind of happened. I I did a pre-law program in middle school. <laughs> and yeah, I know like a common thing for middle schoolers to do. I don't think we didn't have that option. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, I know. And then I just, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do um, what kind of magic program I wanted to do for high school. And I really liked the performance aspect of like doing a closing statement. And so then I thought maybe I want to do broadcasting or jur- or journalism. And then I, I went to a, a high school for two weeks that was broadcasting. I decided that I absolutely hated it. 
And my teacher sat me down and said, what do you like about broadcasting? And everything I described, he was like, that sounds like acting. (laughs) And so he's like, maybe you should look into an acting program. And so I I joined a a theater high school two, three weeks into my ninth grade year. (laughs) Okay. Now I make up your parents must have, I never even knew like magnet high schools and these sorts of things existed. Like even I grew Mm -hmm. up in Cincinnati, Ohio, Mm -hmm. and I was, I went to like, my parents made me go to all Catholic schools because that's what my mom had done. So I don't think it would have been an option, but I think that there might, there was like a Cincinnati performing arts that a lot of people like came from, but saying that was only like for, in my mind, that was only for like people that were like living and breathing like dance or acting. And, um, Mm. yeah, I never even knew these other things existed. So like, also like, yeah, where was that, that, that I make up, was that something from your parents to even not just look at? And then you go to a basic high school, but like we have these options or where did the fact that you even realized you had these options come from? (laughs) Yeah, I know. You know, (laughs) I think that my schooling was always different in that. um, So when I lived in Florida, we didn't live in the best neighborhood, um, particularly uh, before I even got to the age of high school. So my parents were always looking for what can we do? We don't necessarily want to send her to the school that's in her district doesn't have it doesn't doesn't have high ratings for test scores and it's not very safe and that's led to a lot of things so for example from kindergarten to fourth grade my brother and I attended a Jewish private school and we were the only black students in this in the school and it was it was hard like we experienced a lot of racism and feeling like we weren't that's smart. It was, it was tough. Um, but my, you know, my parents were always searching for like, what are, what are, what's out there? Like, what can we, we give, give our kids. And we stumbled upon this magnet program that was specifically trying to bring in students from underprivileged backgrounds and, and, you know, bus them over to another side of town so that they could have more opportunities. So yeah, I don't know that we would have found out about it, you know, just if, if there wasn't so much outreach in the community to try to give underprivileged students more opportunities. So that's how that happened. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and even, yeah, I, in my Catholic elementary school, there was one black girl in my, and she was in my class. Yeah. Um, Mm. And it, yeah, I feel like at one point there, maybe that's it. Like, yeah, in the entire school that she was. Yeah. And again, where it's like mm-hmm. looking back, like, well, no, I was friends with her and she was best friends with some of my other white friends. So it's like, we weren't racist, but then of, of course, now it's like, go, that's going back to elementary school. But like, just because she had friends doesn't mean that every right. day it's like, I'm sure that the kid that, yeah, that there was teasing and that, or just, yeah, I can't imagine what that would feel like to just be the only person yeah. Yeah. It was, it was tough. And I, you know, the other part that was so hard about it is that like in Jamaica, Jamaica is very um, multicultural and there's a lot of white, black, Indian, Chinese. And I, my, I don't think my parents really understood the levels of racism in the States and in Florida. So they didn't properly prepare us 
for what we would experience when we were going to a Jewish private school. And so, you know, some of the things felt wrong. Like if somebody literally said something about not wanting to play with me because of the color of my skin, like that was like, okay, that's something feels icky about that. But then other things like um, teachers picking me last to do things or just giving me lower grades than my friends. It was just um, that type of stuff. You don't know as a child, it might be due to racism. You think that there's something innately wrong with you. So it was like layered, I'm guessing. There were a lot of, yeah, yeah. There were a lot of benefits, you know, um, but there were a lot of, a lot of things that I've had to work through and move through and identify in my adult life. Yeah. And when you said you moved back and forth between Jamaica and Florida, would you spend like half the year Mm -hmm. in Jamaica or just that you had years where you lived there and then years you lived in Florida? So prior to going to uh, starting school, uh, we spent a lot of time in Jamaica, but once school started, it was just summers. So, and I would do some summer school things in Jamaica as well. Um, But yeah, once like I was five and I was in school, I did all school. Got it. Okay. Now let's go back to acting. So, all right. So the teacher was like, I think that's acting. And then, so you start the school. Did your brother also, so he's two years younger then. So he wasn't in school yet, but like, did he get into it because you started to become? Yeah, I, this is, and this has been a thing for us because I'm the one who was like, you got to try this out. This acting thing is so much fun. And, um, he, <laughs> his career took off. <laughs> Like, yeah. So like when we, the first summer we went to New York, um, you know, it it was very easy for him to get representation and to get opportunities. And he hit the whole summer. It was like modeling job after modeling job or acting audition, acting opportunity. And I was kind of just following along, um, you know, like hoping and praying for like some type of break. And then the following summer, when we, before we came to LA, he already had interest in a manager. And so he, if I remember, he came out here before us and he was here and staying with his manager. Wow. And then we came up for the summer and joined him. And so again, this sounds like your parents, if they're like taken to New York and LA, are they, when you were growing up, are they parents that are just like sort of pushing you to do anything yeah. that calls to you? Like, you know, mm-hmm. were they like hesitant about pursuing acting or just like, yeah, do like what mm-hmm. was because I, you know, there can be many sides of like, no, 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 you need real job. You need this. You need a safe this or or I guess there can be stage parents yeah. as well. <laughs> like, All right. Let's uh-huh. let's get So my my parents divorced um, when I was nine. So my my father wasn't active in any of the whole acting scene. Um, so my mom really really believed in us and really wanted this um, for us, maybe even more than we wanted it for ourselves. Honestly, she was really, really excited. And um, I don't know, she just really went with it. Like we came for the summer and, and she was like, this is it. Follow your dream. We're going to make this happen. And, and we, we literally never went back. She had a home. She owned a home in Florida. She didn't even go back to sell the home. She sold it from California. Yeah, it was a hard transition. It really was because I didn't think that we were going to move. I thought it was really going to be a summer thing. I mean, I was supposed to go back to 11th grade. This is not, you know, an ideal time for a high schooler to move. So, um, 
And I felt, you know, my brother was having a lot of success and, and there was like, you know, are we not going back because of Andrew's success? Like I want to have my high school experience, even though I loved acting and it wasn't a whole lot happening for me at that time. <laughs> Got it. So then you moved to LA, have to start, did you then start another high school or did you do like, like study at home? What do they call it? Yeah. So that was like the big dilemma. So in acting, in the acting world, um, there's a thing called legal 18. So if you are over 18 or if you've graduated from high school, you can be legal 18, which means that you can be on set and they don't have to have a teacher. You don't have to pay for a teacher, which is often why you'll see older people playing younger, particularly in like teenage shows. Right. Like Beverly Hills 90210. Like everybody got to know them. Exactly. Like, wait, they're in their 20s and this person's 30 or something. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So um, I was having a hard time because I, you know, I wasn't legal 18. I was 16 and I hadn't graduated. And so, you know, some of the problems I was running into is that they were going to hire someone who was 19 or 20 to play the 16 year old. And so I had this big dilemma of do I homeschool and finish high school as quickly as I possibly can? Or do I, you know, essentially spend so much time, just like waste of time going to school. And ultimately, this is why we're here, we're right. here for acting. So I made the decision to do my own homeschooling program through this school, American School of Correspondence, where, and I just like, I sat down and for months upon end was like, as quickly as I could get it done, I got it done. And I graduated right before I turned 17. So I could then be legal 18 and go out and, in my mind, book every job. <laughs> got it. Because now, yeah, I'm legal 18. So there's, there's nothing that can keep them from not no. hiring me. Right, right, right. <laughs> got it. <laughs> was not the case. <laughs> I really struggled. I struggled in those, uh, in those years. Um, you know, I, I struggled with my weight. Um, I struggled with my confidence. Um, you know, my mother at some point got me a trainer and then I was like, Oh, now I finally have the body. I think I'm supposed to have now I'm going to book. And I still wasn't working. I would, I would book jobs here and there just enough to give me hope. And then <laughs> Like, uh, you know, get really depressed afterwards from how many months and months and months I'd go without working. And my brother was consistently working. And then he booked a series. He booked um, a series, a, a series regular role on Damon Wayans show, My Wife and Kids. And it was, it was wonderful. Like, it was like, oh my God, something really, really great. And at that time, I, I hadn't been working and um, I'm like this point, like 19, 20. And I was a, a server at a restaurant and I was so tired and I knew I loved acting and I was still going out and auditioning and again, booking every once in a while, small parts. And I will never forget. Um, uh, Damon Wayans, who's the star of the show that my brother is a series, was a series regular on, came into the restaurant. He didn't know I, I worked there, but he, he knew who I was. And he came in and then I got his table. And I just remember having the moment of I'm serving Damon Wayans. And this is, 
you know, tomorrow my brother's going to see him on set and this isn't working for me. <laughs> like, I'm not liking this interaction. I'm not liking how I'm feeling. I've got to figure something out. And I thought, you know, I feel like I'm talented. I'm not working, but maybe, maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. Maybe I need more training. And so I, re- I remember I, I, I brought his plates back and I went, I think I'm going to quit. I, yes, I, I quit. And <laughs> I'm going to go to school. I'm going to study acting. So yeah, at 20, I decided that I was going to apply to all these different theater schools to get what I thought, again, was a missing link. Now, the missing link is I need to be better. I need more training. Yeah. So you quit the waitress job and then went, is, did you like, is that like going to college or a theater, like an outside? Oh, like getting a degree in theater. Yeah. And this was now, you know, I hadn't been in school. I hadn't been in school. The last time I was in a classroom was when I just, you know, I moved to California when I just turned 16 and then graduated from high school, like 10 months later. Um, And now I am 20. I haven't taken SATs. And I, because you only need SATs if you're going to go to college, which I wasn't. I was going to be a very famous actress at that point. So, um, you know, I, I just, all of my energy shifted. And I was like, I have to go to college. Um, I hired a tutor to prepare for the SATs. Um, I didn't know anything. I just like buried myself in, in learning everything. And I applied to like eight different uh, colleges and I, I got into seven and the one that uh, gave me a full ride Carnegie Mellon University and that's where I ended up going wow I mean that's a pretty big deal that you got a full ride scholarship yeah but you know what it was I wasn't sure how I was gonna go otherwise because we you know I didn't like you needed I had I had to pay my own way it wasn't gonna happen any other way so um, it, it's what I was like putting out into the universe and, and it, and it was just, everything felt like that's where I was supposed to be and everything like came together to make that happen. And so th- is that in New York? That's in, uh, Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay. I know it was somewhere on the East coast. Got yeah. It. Yeah. So did you end up going there and graduating? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I went there and it was a, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I remember my first winter, like especially like coming from like Jamaica, Florida, California. Like I just, <laughs> I will never forget like my first winter, like the first time like the temperature dropped. And I remember like looking and looking at whether what, what the weather was, and it was like a negative, a negative number. And I my brain couldn't get like why. Is there a mistake? How is there negative <laughs> like temperature? And I remember just like walking from the library to my dorm and just my core shaking and just like there's something wrong happening, like something very <laughs> it's terrible. But you made it. You stuck out for the four years. Yeah, I did. I did. I did the four years. And what was that experience like, especially when you were in, like, again, you're going because I'm going to be a very famous, successful actress. So I'm, you know, yeah. I'm here, right, to mm-hmm. to fine tune my skills to yeah. go back and kill it. So is that how you approached it? 
Absolutely. Like I, you know, I had advantages that other students in my class didn't have because they hadn't, most of them didn't live in LA and they never met a casting director or done an actual audition. And I'd, I'd had built a little bit of a resume at that point. Um, so I thought, okay, I'm going to come in, I'm going to get this training. And then when I graduate, I'm going to pick up where I left off, but running this time. Um, so, you know, the Carnegie Mellon was amazing. It was amazing. I definitely received the training that I went there to get. Um, I, I felt much more confident in my ability and, um, you know, it was, it was one of the hardest and most rewarding experiences ever. When I make up, even though you may no, you're no longer working as an actress, that the training that you got in that is applies so much also to life and perhaps even what you're doing now. Absolutely. Right? I had another conversation with someone who pursued, like went to musical theater and then she's now working more as like mental. She's not a therapist, but mm-hmm. she runs a platform called Woman Against Negative Talk. And like, you know, mm-hmm. and she's a fitness instructor also, but the same, but she now is looking back like, I can't, like, I don't feel like my you know, that, that was degree or anything was a waste because I now can see like, you know, or even like how being taught how to feel or like, right. Like to play characters and stuff like that, that like it gave her a bigger understanding in how we as humans work. Right. Right. I actually, I don't think I would have become a therapist if not for my acting background. And it, it, I mean, one thing really led to another. Um, after I graduated from Carnegie Mellon, I, you know, I came out and I was like, well, what am I going to do to make money? What's my side hustle going to be? And I was on Craigslist and then I came across this um, post of looking for a theater teacher to work with foster youth. And <laughs> that was the beginning. That was the beginning of this transition for me. And that was literally. I don't know, like six months after I graduated from Carnegie Mellon. So you graduated Carnegie Mellon, moved back to LA, mm-hmm. search on Craigslist and find that. Yeah. So that's like, yeah. okay, you're just looking like you were not looking even for something related to acting, I'm guessing, but just like, what can I do to be making money on the side? Well, I'm going to be, you know, getting these auditions and where I'm then going to become a famous actor. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, and let me tell you, I, I came back to LA with a great setup. Like I had a fantastic agent, a fantastic manager. I was going out quite a bit. I was getting super close to really big parts. Um, and so, you know, I was just waiting, like the next audition was always going to be my big break. Which I'm guessing that's, like that's what makes a successful actor actor is that they have to keep showing up because it's not right. like, oh great, you just got to LA and you were you're right, you're talented. Here you go. Like exactly. Exactly. Like you have to uh, have that constant kind of belief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was, you know, like, what's a what's a job I can do um until I'm famous? Like, what's the job? And and I found this theater job teaching philosophies, and I really, really wanted this job. Like I didn't know I wanted it until I read it. And I was like, Oh, this, I ha- I have to get this. I have to get this. And, uh, turns out it was the black eyed peas nonprofit Peapod music and arts Academy. So they have this nonprofit where they have had uh, dance theater, music, poetry, film, 
and it was catered to foster youth and it was housed in the boys and girls club in Watts, California. Wow. So I, uh, hadn't taught before, um, but hustled to get this job and I fought and, uh, Right. Because they're not necessarily looking for great. There's a million actresses in L.A. We don't need an actress to teach this. They want someone who's going to teach acting. Right. So it's not just like, oh, thank you, actress that applied. You obviously you get the job. (laughs) Right. Right. But I just something lit inside me. And I was like, this is I have to get this. I have to get this. (laughs) Uh, I I didn't know I had that desire again until I read the um, the posting. So I, I got the job and, I, you know, the students started at age 13 and I worked with them for five years, essentially until they aged out of the program. Wow. And this experience changed my life. For, for foster kids. So does that mean it's for any kid that's in the foster system that like they're not? Uh, so they are like living with foster families and that's what they yes. set this curriculum up for if you're in like that yeah so anyone that's living with a foster family because foster family means it's not permanent they're just yeah they could yes. move around yeah okay so were you even with kids that they were moving from different homes but like you were the stable person in their life right so one of the great things yeah one of the great things about the program is we had um transportation so even when the students uh changed homes we could still go and pick them up and and they could come every Tuesday and Thursday evening for their class. That's amazing. I mean, it's amazing in general, but that's what I was just imagining. If they're then getting shuffled to a new home and then they mm-hmm. still get to come mm-hmm. to this place. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, again, like one of the most amazing experiences of my life. And it essentially became drama therapy. And I had no idea what drama therapy was. I didn't know what I was really getting into. I just knew that this was like the next step for me. And from, I mean, from really early on, I could see the therapeutic values in theater. So, you know, I'll share with you one of the first exercises that uh, we did was something called Before the Door. And it's an exercise I did at Carnegie Mellon. And so basically, there's a door and you imagine that there's something really difficult for you to face on the other side of the door. And, uh, it could be anything like, but you, you make it up and the exercise is you speak your thoughts. So everything that you're processing, you say it out loud and the exercise ends when you open the door. So, you know, this is one of the first exercises I'm bringing to this fostering youth, right? You can't see me with my uh, eyes just right. really, really big. <laughs> imagining. Yeah. That, like, I'm like, when she was describing it, I'm imagining myself like, okay, I'm imagining having this challenging conversation I put off or like something. So like, I'm putting myself in that place and then I'm like, whoa, now I'm like a foster kid. <laughs> this teacher's telling. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I was 25 and I was teaching for the first time and just like, this is going to be great. And it, and actually. Uh, thankfully turned out great. But, you know, as you can imagine, they chose really challenging scenarios, you know, things that they, you know, wanting to, the, on the other side of the door was like their biological mom or dad. And they wanted to like open to ask them, like, why did you give me up? Or somebody who was going to visit their friend who was in a gang and was shot and was on life support and was going to go say goodbye to the friend. Like they were bringing 
real life situations. And thankfully I was able to contain it and it, it turned out to be a pretty healing experience for the students. Um, and it kind of, it started me on this journey of like, like exploring how drama could be healing and, and, and be therapeutic. Right. Cause you were bringing that in as this is an exercise I learned at Carnegie Mellon. Yeah. So mm-hmm. great. I'm going to teach them how to act. I'll teach them. And then it's like, oh shit. Like yeah. I am opening up yep. like this space <laughs> for them to be held. So I am here and I must hold space for these people and like right. not be like doing them more harm. Yeah. That's me making exactly. up. <laughs> no, no, that was it. That was it. Cause halfway through, so I was with them for five years and about two and a half years, I was like, I need uh, more skills. <laughs> so um, I had a moment where um, we did, and I'll share with you a really quick, another exercise, which was so profound called the picture exercise. And I brought in a bunch of pictures, people with different socioeconomic backgrounds, and they, they're supposed to pick one that they identify with. They have like an hour, half an hour to an hour to just imagine what that character's life is like. and um, how they talk, how they think, how they move. And then they go up on stage and they assume the position of the picture. And I say action and they bring the picture to life. This is another Carnegie Mellon exercise. So um, what was so profound is that even though all of the pictures had different socioeconomic backgrounds, they all picked characters that they felt would give them strength and power. And so all the characters I brought to life were like, funny, charming, loved, had great support, great family, were really intelligent. And when the exercise was over, they were all different. Like they were warmer to one another. They were more friendly. They were more confident. They were more trusting. And I remember after that exercise, it was like, it took on more of a family feel. And like, it was just, it was just different. Like they stepped into that, which they were portraying, Mm -hmm. but then it also opened up for them to see each other as that. Yes. Like all of a sudden they were bonding in a new way. Maybe it's not as like, oh, we're this damn, these like, I don't know if if I want to say damaged or whatever, but like that they were then like able to see, like playing into their imagination, which is like something I teach in my course is like, we don't allow ourselves just to dream as even adults who have done a lot. Mm -hmm. We're just like, okay, this is Mm -hmm. it. This is all I can do. I can't afford more. Now I'm a mom, a parent. I have this, a career. We forget to imagine and dream bigger for ourselves. Yes. Because we can't see beyond our budget or Uh how life is shaped. So you play into the imagination and then all of a sudden you can see these things that could be possible for you. Absolutely. So they were playing into this imagination of just this character. And then in that, it's actually opening up and like knocking down these walls within themselves. Like, I could be that. Yeah. Well, you know, there's something called, you know, mirror neurons. So if you imagine um, lifting your left leg, the same part of your brain lights up as though you were actually lifting your left leg. And so, you know, there's, there can be a lot of healing taking place through visualization and through imagination, which also is essentially like what acting is. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Trisha here, bringing you a brief interruption because I got to tell you about my current favorite products in my very own product shop. Yeah, I have a product line full 
of goodies to empower you to claim your joy, your worth, your value, all of it. Of course, there's the Own Your Awesome Affirmation Deck, 52 affirmations that are also gorgeous looking to have around your house. That was my first product. But I'm currently obsessed with the new insulated products. There's an insulated mug that I use all day. You know, I always thought these sorts of products were just for to go when you're leaving the house, when you're on the run. But they're insulated, which means they keep cold drinks cold and hot drinks hot for a very long time. And also, they have twist on lids that have a flip top seal, which, if you have young children like me, is a life changer. So, I put my coffee in the insulated mug in the morning. It keeps it hot for hours. So, I don't feel like I have to like drink it super fast and I'm disappointed if I let it sit there. Um, And I can be in the playroom. I can get toppled over. I can throw it in my purse. No spills. I also then use it in the late afternoon when it's hot and put iced drinks in it, like an iced kombucha. Very nice. Outside keeps it cold. I even have put some rosé in it sometimes. Keeps it cold and non-spilling around the kids. And then I drink water out of the insulated tumbler because it comes with not only a flip top lid, but a straw lid as well. Yeah, it comes with two lids. So I like to drink my water out of it all day long. Drinking out of straw just makes me stay hydrated. I don't know why. It just is easier. Um, And then again, I'll put ice cubes in it to keep it cold. But some people use these for smoothies as well. I do put like a nice tea in it, which is very nice in the summer. And it's the tumbler is 24 ounces. So some people put hot coffee in it or iced coffee in it as well to get that very large size. So they all come in various phrases and various colors, got lots of other products on the shop. And also reminder, not just for you, best gifts. It's something that'll last for a very long time. I was going to say forever, but you know, that's a big claim. (laughs) They're super high quality. The phrase will never wash off because it's engraved into the product. And they also say awesome things to empower you, to inspire you, to have you claiming your joy. All right, so go to shop.yourdialogist.com. Okay, so yeah, you're in that and then you were like, I need to get more tools. Is yeah. that when you decided to go back to school mm-hmm. when you were still running that program or teaching in that program? Yes, yes. So um, halfway through teaching that program, I, I decided I needed to, to get more skills. And I... Uh, went to Antioch uh, University to get my master's, um, become a psychotherapist. (laughs) And so at what point do you, when you're, when you started the job, it was going to be your side income while you're being Mm -hmm. an actress. At Mm -hmm. what point do you start to realize, I don't even want to go on auditions anymore? Or is that part of you still in you? Like what part made you, like, where did you Mm -hmm. start to shift out of that? So can I tell you, honestly, I've only recently, I've only recently completely shifted out from acting. So even at that point, um, while I was in grad school, I was still auditioning. Oh, while you're going to school to be a psychotherapist. Yeah. And I, I mean, it was quite the hustle because I also was, um, the, that's a whole other story, but I was the assistant director of the after school program at Los Angeles High School. So I was doing 
that in the day and, and whenever I had an audition, I would leave and go to the audition. And then in the evenings, uh, on Tuesday and Thursday evenings, I was working in Watts as this, the theater director. And then my uh, master's program was every Saturday. So I had school every Saturday. It was six weeks on, three weeks off, six weeks on, three weeks off. So after work, I do all my, my work and then uh, start all over again. So it was, I, <laughs> it was, it was a lot. And what, what made you like finally let go of acting? And also do you, like, cause I think too, it's like, you maybe don't even like, you might be like, yeah, I'm done. Do you feel like it was like just an attachment to this dream you always had? And even mm. when other people saw mm-hmm. for you and know you knew you as for so long, like even your family or like, also, I think that it's okay to hold space for that. Like 10, 20 years from now, you could s- still go back and audition and like kill it. Right. right? Like there are people that yeah. are like in their fifties <laughs> that all like, you know, that become a well-known actress. So like, I don't yeah. think you need to give it up. It's just like, okay, maybe I don't need to be putting my time and attention on this right now. Or like, yeah, where did that? Yeah. You know, for me, I think that I really struggled with anxiety and a lot of social anxiety. And I think that was a huge part of the reason why I wasn't booking like I wanted to. Like again, I was I was booking here and there and then I would like book a, a guest spot on Grey's Anatomy and like, oh, my whole world is going to change. My whole world is going to change, right? Um, but I really struggled in that audition room, like a lot of actors do, but mine was debilitating. I'd go into the room and then the whole room would start spinning. And I'd be fighting, trying to stay present while like, the whole room is spinning. And I'm like, oh my God, it, you know, this is not how you practice this. The, You're supposed to be giving it your all. Yeah. <laughs> the room wasn't spinning at home. <laughs> right? So I, you know, I think it was a couple of things. I think um, there was that anger I had towards myself of you're getting in your own way. If not for you and your ridiculous social anxiety, you'd be able to do this thing that your soul has been called to do. And I had, you know, and also I had my own experience of childhood trauma. Um, and I think I also was experiencing therapeutic healing in being able to act out other characters. Um, but I know that now as a, as, as a therapist, as you know, an adult. <laughs> so there was something that kept that I was like drawn to. And, you know, and also there was that part of it of, you know, wanting to heal that insecure part of me by getting attention and and getting fame, Um, which, you know, that's not right. That's not the best way. (laughs) Well, I mean, and that's like the whole reason my podcast is called claim it is like that. I say like, that we are so often so concerned of like, what will other people think of us? And we're like constantly mm-hmm. looking or like, once I get this, have this, you know, what's like, once mm-hmm. I lose the, like, oh, I got my personal right. trainer. Like you said, like once I'm right. this weight, then I will uh-huh. be enough. Then people will see me as being worthy that getting booked as actually I'm using your examples, but like it, whatever it is in our own lives. Once I have the fiance, once I live in the, this house, once I can afford this purse, then I will feel this. Then people will see me and they will be like, that person is someone I want to know, be friends with high or whatever it is Mm -hmm. that we're Mm -hmm. constantly putting it outside of ourselves and that it's up to us to claim (laughs) our joy, our worth, our value, our enoughness, our fulfillment every day, sometimes every moment of the day because it'll doubts and fears and everything will keep coming our way. So that, yeah, that you were likely 
okay, well, once I maybe like book this gig or once this, then. Right. Right. You're, you're forever chasing. Even when you do have success, you know, you're waiting for the next, you're waiting for the next. Yep. Mm -hmm. You, cause you, exactly. And that's, yeah. And that was a part of me seeing when I worked with people Mm -hmm. that had it all and have fame of like, how come they still have doubts and fears and worries and don't feel like they're enough and are concerned about this? And like, <laughs> like, oh, it's just us humans. <laughs> We're constantly chasing. And you go have a glimmer of it. I booked the gig. Like, yeah, I booked the gig, but it's not enough. I need the next one. <laughs> the bigger one. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. And it was like, you think that, you know, you book a job and your confidence is growing, but then, you know, every, it just gets torn down and torn down. And I just, it was debilitating for me. It really, really was. And I, after I uh, graduated and um, I got an internship at this place called the Southern California Counseling Center. And so I'm, I'm seeing clients, I'm not licensed yet, but I'm seeing clients I'm still auditioning and I, 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 I want to be able to fully commit. I really want to be able to give up acting. Um, but it's like this thing I poured so many years into, like I, you know, I didn't go to high school for this thing. I moved cross country for this thing. I, I thought at that time that, you know, the college I went to was for this thing. And so, you know, and I still, you know, love some aspects of it. Uh, so then I decided that there's a way to marry my love for acting and my my love for therapy. And I I wrote and starred in a short film called Pale Blue. And it was about um, a pregnant woman who was experiencing mental illness. And uh, it was directed by Alex Baranova. And uh, this is before I transitioned to just being a therapist. And this was... This was hard for me because it got a lot of attention. Um, you know, we ended up winning Best Short at Soho International Film Festival and getting into all these other film festivals. And so here I was again being called towards acting. Like, you know, I was getting... Um, like, this is confirmation. I am supposed to be on this path. I meant for this. Right. And I, yeah, I remember we were at... It was it was a Cleveland International Film. We were at some in, uh, film festival, and this like very top manager came up to me, and she was like, "You, you know, you're extremely talented. I want to represent you. Here's my card." And I was, "Oh, this is amazing!" And I never emailed her, and I kept having all these reasons why I didn't reach out, or um, oh, I've gained some weight. I want to lose some weight first, or um, you know, this is not a good time because, um, you know, I, I, I'm still seeing clients and what if she wants me to like fully commit to this and how do I explain to her that I'm still doing it? Like I never reached out. And then I had to sit down one day and just say, you know, you didn't reach out for a reason. And I, I think it might be time to really accept that you don't want to do this anymore. And to see that as a step of success versus failure. Yes, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah. That's what I think. I think, yeah, like so often people can like stay in what they, you know, even if you've gotten success, like you mm-hmm. did, like you got success with the 
independent film and everything too. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, that it is on like, I have to stay here and like quitting that like quitting is a bad thing. <laughs> right. Right. I think we are taught if you quit, if you stop something, like I'm going back to quitting if like, oh, you're a kid and like decided you don't want to like, okay, I want to play softball. I don't like softball. Mm-hmm. I quit. Then that can have so many like, well, just try harder, this, that. Like, right. whatever. it's like, no, I just, right. it's not for me. It's right. not for and, me anymore. And, and it also robs us of what we learned and, and, and we're able to, how we were able to grow from those experiences. They weren't a waste. They happened. They shaped us. They formed who we are today, you know? Right. So if you were feel like guilt or shame or being like, you're not a lot, if it's for quitting, then yeah, then it's like taking away from all the amazingness that you created and the lessons learned. Right. Yeah. Because like, that was my life. I lived that life. Nobody else lived that life. You know what I mean? Like, wasn't a waste. Like those were the experiences that I had during that time. And, and they, they shaped my life. And again, I fully believe that I wouldn't be a therapist and where I am today, if not for those experiences. Totally. And like you went to Carnegie Mellon and because Mm -hmm. of that, like that probably shaped you to be able to take that job. Mm -hmm. And then that Mm -hmm. is what you teaching the lessons you learned at Carnegie Mellon is what then was like the breakthrough of, oh, right. I want to be doing more. (laughs) Like you had to have all those steps. Yeah. And, and both uh, careers like study human characteristics, (laughs) you know, when you're an actor, you're trying to go deep and uncover what motivates someone and what drives them and what their fears are and all of that. And same thing when you're a therapist. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk now about, well, unless there's something else you want to, but I wanted to talk about, Mm -hmm. yeah, like you're did a TEDx talk. Yes. Was that last year? Yeah. I was like, I believe. Okay. That's what I was like. Yeah. Last year. Yeah. we filmed in December. It just came out like a month ago. Okay. So yeah, we filmed in December. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, well, I've watched it, but I'm guessing people, a lot of people that are listening to this have not watched it, but we will link it because it's amazing. So Thank I you. can tell by watching it what inspired you to do it. But well, what also, no, because people have lots of ahas and awakings and personal things and don't go let me go on a stage. <laughs> for this re-recorded and people around the world to watch it. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Would you mind talking about, yeah, like your talk and yeah, like mm-hmm. why you felt like this is so important that I have to share this with the world? Absolutely. So, um, I, it was my dream to become a mom. Like I really, really wanted to have a, a child and, um, you know, I got pregnant had my daughter and everything changed (laughs) after that. Like I felt so much depression and anxiety and I had intrusive thoughts and flashbacks and it was so, so hard for me. And I really, you know, as a therapist was, I really thought it was postpartum depression some postpartum anxiety, um, but it just was so debilitating that I was like, this, I, this, I'm not, nothing is getting better. I'm doing all the things I know to do for postpartum depression and anxiety. And I remember I just, you know, was on my computer 
I'm looking up my symptoms and I had this aha moment of, oh my God, no, no, no. You just typed in symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. You're experiencing PTSD. So I just at that point (laughs) went running and was doing lots and lots of research and, uh, you know, began to quickly understand that I was experiencing PTSD symptoms that were uh, triggered from parenting from my daughter. So basically I have, you know, unresolved childhood trauma that was just coming to life when I became a parent. And, you know, it's, I, I thought to myself, I specialize in trauma as a therapist. That's my, like my area. Right. Because you became, oh, so you, yeah, you became a therapist for families and couples. Is it- so the degree is marriage and family therapy therapy. So that's what all licensed therapists are. And then you can specialize um, in whatever area you choose. And I, you know, specialize in trauma. So you specialized in trauma. Yes. <laughs> and even with that, I had no idea that you could have PTSD symptoms from becoming a parent. I had no clue. And I thought to myself, well, is it possible that a lot of people don't know about this? <laughs> and when right? you, like, yeah, because also I'm the same where I think in the last like year, we've heard more about, you know, people using the term for PTSD to, or just having any sort of trauma, a really to lots of things. And it still, and even can feel like, I don't know, but am I allowed to mm-hmm. claim that even yeah. consider that I could have that or that you have that? Like, because, yeah, it seems like you've been in a war. You were in, you know, maybe somebody that uh, was in a high school, like the mass yeah. murder mm-hmm. like situation that when I think of PTSD or even trauma, that it's like something, you know, something huge has happened to you. And like now even saying it, I'm like, well, yeah, of course, like it can show up as like something huge can happen that can look different of that. Mm-hmm. But just, yeah, like it seems like I'm not allowed to even consider that to be a term. For me, because uh, I didn't have like a gun pointed at my head or like. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, I uh, use this comparison when I work with my clients where someone's like, well, I only have a broken arm and that person over there has two broken legs. So they qualify for help. I don't. Yeah. Or even I have a broken fit, like, you know, like whatever. It could even be smaller than that. Like I'm not allowed to be in pain because it's not as bad as this or like. Absolutely. And, you know, something that I talk about in my, in my TEDx is that, you know, it, it doesn't, your judgment of your past is irrelevant. Like whether you think you've experienced trauma or not um, is irrelevant. All that matters is how your brain has stored the information. It doesn't care whether you think this should be traumatic or not. (laughs) It's just whether it is. (laughs) Which is huge. Yeah. And when you started to realize like, oh, I think I have PTSD Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. from childhood trauma. Did you also immediately like know what your childhood trauma was related to? Or did that take you some time to look at? So for me, I, I was I had done years and years of work on my trauma. Okay. Um, so I knew 
I knew what my own experiences were. I didn't understand that my child could basically embody them. I didn't know. Or just, you know yeah, like I mean? just her existing was triggering. Even if you knew, yeah. even though you knew your traumas, you didn't, you could not see how. Right. Because one of the things I talk about in the TEDx is that basically when you experience a traumatic event, you're in a state of hyper or hypo arousal. And so because of that, the, your brain doesn't properly integrate it and it kind of gets stored in its state specific form like open tabs on a computer. So you have these open tabs and you know, you're just living your life. And then some, suddenly you have, you, you're presented with stimuli that matches stimuli from this past traumatic event. And so the present stimuli pops open and brings this tab to the forefront from this past experience. So I didn't understand that, you know, that my child could embody like those past stimuli, that things that she was like, as she was learning and, and experiencing rejection from like a playmate would tap into my abandonment issues. I didn't know that that could happen. (laughs) And I think a lot of parents don't men and women. Yeah. So you were able to see this. And then I know because you did the TEDx talk, like you feel like you have healed, or I'm guessing it might be something that even takes continuous work or healing or whatever, but like, yeah. And that was that stuff that you then that existed or that you have then created this sort of way for how to, Uh because I'm in, you know, we started to talk before we recorded and I was just like, let's just start recording because in watching your TED talk, I started sobbing, not for you, for me. And I still like, because I have felt like I have some childhood trauma, but I don't know what it is. And I've been wanting to get, I'm like, maybe I need to get hypnotized. And my mind goes to like, was I sexually abused? Because that feels just like, I know I wasn't physically abused. And so it feels like that would be something that would really fuck somebody up. So, so maybe that's that, even though I have no idea how or when or who that would have happened. Um, but then in how, what you had mentioned in the talk is like that that could be emotional trauma mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. even um, what else did you say? Not abandonment, but neglect. Whereas I don't think I've been neglected, but I definitely have wounds from childhood that I'm aware of that like I felt like nobody cared about me. Like my main wound and like I moved through my life, like doing work, I saw that I moved through my life as if. I don't need anybody. That's how Mm. I moved through my life, which I then Mm. uncovered. I did that because underneath it was nobody cares about me. Wow. So then I have lived my life is nobody cares about me. So I'm just going to act like, well, I don't need anybody. And so now tapping into like, okay, if I've lived my life as nobody cares about me, but of course, like I had loving parents. My mom worked so hard, but she like worked multiple jobs. They were concerned Mm -hmm. about we have to have money to pay for things. Mm -hmm. My dad Mm -hmm. was the fun dad. So I had a great childhood, but I carry this really strong wound of nobody cares about me. I also know that growing up, um, we weren't hugged or told I love you or given physical affection Mm. until we got a little bit older. And that was because that's how my mom was raised. And so I think she was uncomfortable perhaps with physical touch. And so then we didn't get it. And I I still to this day really have a hard time hugging my mom. I hug everybody. I'm a hugger. And her trying to hug me, I, I like kind of freak out. 
Mm. It's uncomfortable. So that's why. So when listening to your talk, (laughs) I was like, I don't know. I've had this like thing. And my daughter, my oldest daughter triggers things in me that I do will feel like unsafe. And where today I was like, is it, am I experienced like PTSD and it not her doing anything harmful? And I wonder was, is she at an age that something that were like this? Because my younger daughter Mm-hmm. doesn't but they also have different energies and stuff like that so yeah I myself have had these little things of like what's going on where is this from and then watching your video I was like yeah tell me more <laughs> <laughs> wow not that we need that like having a session but yeah like, I yeah just, you know I always feel like it helps for me to share really what's coming up because I'm guessing other people that listening might sort of be like huh but no and that I've had these sort of like realizations that I still am not super clear on but then I'm like yeah right. I might be suffering from yeah. PTSD and because I will have moments of my sister or my sister my daughter doing even like coming to like hug me abruptly and I like sort of like <gasps> I can feel like a panicked energy but when my two-year-old does it I don't feel that mm. they have different energies the older one has like a very like intenser energy like whatever but yeah so I have been wondering like what the fuck is up with that because it don't I don't yeah. like that obviously that I'm like <gasps> yeah when <laughs> right you know there could be so many reasons yeah. I, you know I want to say that you said a sentence that I um really want to highlight which is you know I had a great childhood like my parents loved me they were you know what I mean? And I can't tell you. So we feel like we're not al- like I was saying that because I feel like I could not possibly have childhood trauma or I can't tell you how many times I'll have a client and I'll say, okay, you're experiencing depression, anxiety. Let's talk a little about your childhood. And they're like, no, it was great. It was great. My parents were wonderful. Um, they don't want to touch it. And it's and it, it feels one, it feels so wrong, especially when you know that you have parents that loved you to even crack that open. It feels like you're betraying them and just, you know, making stuff up maybe, you know, or like you were too weak and why that shouldn't have hurt or affected, you know, affected you that way. So a lot of the work I do is in in saying, look, you know, your parents can both have loved you very, very much and also may have contributed some pain. Like they're not exclusive. You know what I mean? Like you're not, it it doesn't mean one or the other. And the other thing is, is that you, you don't know how your child mind processed things. So when you're a child and you experience trauma, you experience it through the lens of a child, not as an adult. And if you don't do the work, your brain is still processing it as that child. So who knows, for example, how you experienced your mother not hugging you? Like maybe, maybe you experienced it as it's shameful to hug. You shouldn't need to hug. It's sexual to hug or it's wrong to need that or I'm not worthy of being hugged. Like who knows? Who knows how you as a child took that in? Now as an adult, again, you have different perspective, different understanding. You can say, oh, my mom wasn't hugged as an adult. So that's why, you know, but as a child, you're not not thinking that. No, not at all. So it gets stored. It doesn't just get stored that way. It gets stored through your understanding of it at that time. And then again, now it seems like it's it's coming up and, and it could come up for different reasons. You know, um, it could be that your daughter in some way reminds you more of yourself, your older, oldest one reminds you more of yourself or not. Um, it could be that because she's a bit 
older, it could be tapping in to something that you don't remember. It may not, you know, um, there are so many different things, but the number one thing is you don't have to qualify what you're experiencing. You don't have to qualify it. You are experiencing it. You are like, there is some reason you don't have to come up with the reason to then say, Oh, then I deserve to be experiencing what I'm experiencing. You're experiencing it. It's happening. Right. So, um, I know for me, a huge part of my healing was I did a therapy called EMDR and it stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And what's so amazing about that is basically um, it was developed by a woman named Francine Shapiro, and she uses bilateral stimulation um, to help, you know, reprocess memory. So a therapist, it's not hypnotism, <laughs> a therapist will move uh, their finger back and forth and, you know, the client follows with their eyes and then the therapist takes them through a series of questions to safely uh, explore the past, these traumatic memories, and to help desensitize and reprocess. And what's so great about that is that memories work like networks. So like a neighborhood, like a neighborhood of homes. So once you like affect one, it fills out into the other. So you don't have to, to do your healing. You don't have to necessarily uncover like, was I abused or was I not? Um, like, I don't have to like go in and no. try to like excavate Mm-mm. and what was this one thing that's created this trauma yeah. no absolutely <laughs> not. more than one thing but like yeah that uh-uh. has been like oh, I must maybe I have to get hypnotized and bring myself back to like some yeah. place that I don't even know like I said it could mm-hmm. just it, not just not saying that it's like just meaning not giving it wait it could be the not having physical touch or it could be something much bigger that I've blocked out right and you know the when you do therapy or specifically EMDR, you know, you just follow where the brain goes. The brain wants to heal. Like the body is designed to heal. And the same thing when you get a cut, it go, it knows exactly where to go to do the healing. And so we just kind of create the right environment and atmosphere for the brain to kind of tap into its own healing. And so in doing this therapy, you know, you can go back to like, when was the first time you remember feeling that? And we just kind of like, you know, where does your brain go now? Where does it go now? And how can we help it, help it to heal? So it was, yeah, I've heard of, uh, I've heard of that EMDR before and I've heard people have a lot of great, um, yeah. responses to it. I'm, I actually am trained in it and I use it in my practice with, with, clients. Oh, you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. really, really, really wonderful. Very cool. Um, what else? but okay. And then you've created a program or something, yes. right? Is that based yes. on like mm. this healing trauma and like what came up for you in becoming a parent or something else or multiple things? Absolutely. So I, I created an online course called Transformation After Trauma. And for me, it was just in working with my clients and realizing like how many people would come in and say, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, but it has nothing to do with my background. And I'm like, oh, okay, no, it, it probably does. And yeah, it's like, you probably like everything is probably affected by our backgrounds as much as we want to. No, 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 no. Yeah. I had a great, my parents loved me. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. (laughs) Yeah. People don't understand that trauma changes your brain chemistry. It alters 
your, your stress response. And so what we interpret as I'm feeling depressed, I'm feeling anxious, that's your altered stress response. That's, that's the different levels of adrenaline. That's the different levels of cortisol and, and different hormones. So I, I really, after doing my TEDx, I really, when I found that there were ways that trauma was still showing up in my life that I had no idea about, I'm like, I tell my clients this, that a lot of what you're experiencing is from your past. And I didn't identify it in myself. So I uh, really just wanted to dig deeper into this. And I created a, a course that takes you through a process of identifying how it can affect how trauma in your past can affect you today and to looking at what gets in the way of acceptance around that trauma. Um, and we look at how, how trauma affects relationships, like be it as parent child or your romantic partnerships or your jobs or your friendships. Uh, it explores how trauma gets trapped in the body, which is a big thing. Um, even with like psychosomatic disorders or just you know, the mind-body connection. Um, we explore mindfulness and um, the importance of like meditation and yoga. And then finally, it looks at um, how, you know, your health under trauma, how trauma influences, you know, your health. And so I really wanted to be able to create this and to help as many people as possible, especially because I'm licensed in California, so I can only do therapy for people in California. So I created this course, not just for, for people in California, but outside so that they could. Um, so they don't have to be a client uh, working yes. one-on-one with you. Yeah, absolutely. And so again, because I, I think the word trauma can be like, like, so when yeah. the course or anybody could take the course that could have any type of trauma, or even if you're like, yes. well, I, you know, even though I'm like unsure, I have identified mm-hmm. I've got some drama, but like most yes. of us probably have trauma. So it doesn't have to be like, I know I'm coming to the table. I know this trauma. It just can be like, you have a feeling that like, you're just, absolutely you get triggered by things. You keep getting yeah. relationships that don't serve you or like whatever. Like <laughs> I would, I would say that the course is more geared towards that to helping you identify how it might be showing up. There are exercises in it to help you further explore. Um, and I find that like for a lot of people, some people don't know, like, I don't know if that, if that's that, 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 that. Um, but a lot of people also, like I said before, they don't allow themselves to fully explore because of what they think it might mean they're saying about themselves or their family members or whoever it was that inflicted any type of pain. Yeah, no. And that's, I've mm-hmm. spoken up about things with like my relationship with my parents and stuff before often and, and it's st- and still as much as me talking about it I have this fear of like because mom I know you're probably listening and I love right. you and I've told you over and over that I understand that we're right. humans and you had your own programming <laughs> and that you had a, you, right your thing is happening to you. like but it's like it can still be like oh, I'm sorry mom I'm just uh, you don't believe you're a bad parent like but yeah it's like and I'm saying this out loud for people to listen to but yeah for us to even talk to or even just in our heads to be like blaming it feels as if we're like not taking responsibility or something right absolutely absolutely but you're just doing yourself more damage by playing into that (laughs) yeah you're not you're not helping you're not helping yourself you know because like i said like it your your judgment on whether you have trauma or not is irrelevant to how your brain has stored the information it's just irrelevant so 
the course really takes you through a process of like, here's how it can show up. Here's what might be getting in the way of, of you being able to really address it. And it provides tangible tools to help you um, move through it and to better navigate and see how it's, how it's further showing up with your relationships and in your body and different things like that. Yeah. And I loved at the end of, I'm like, you guys will still need to go watch her TEDx talk. We haven't told you everything, (laughs) but I also thought how important your idea that you talk about in the end, whereas if that sort of like for everybody to, what was it like to assess if they've had childhood trauma before they came, became a parent so that they could heal that? Right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I, you know, I was, I remember when I was pregnant with my daughter, I had all these recommendations for birthing class, breastfeeding specialist, and uh, nobody said anything about, oh, maybe see a therapist because some things can come up when you have a kid. Maybe check out if you have childhood trauma so you can heal it and be a better, like, <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, now we have Dr. Nadine Burke Harris, a surgeon general of California, who is implementing um, screening uh, children for childhood trauma because we now know that childhood trauma affects us greatly as adults in our health in terms of, you know, whether you're more prone to cancer or being a smoker or having heart disease or, you know, plethora of health issues. And so as a surgeon general, she said, we need to start screening these kids so that we can be proactive in helping these things that they have a predisposition toward. And how do they screen them? Yeah, I know. There's a lot of <laughs> a little, yeah, people like that's still, I guess, being fine-tuned. <laughs> yeah, but there are a series of, of questions. It's an ACE study and you can look it up and there's a series of questions that, you know, that they're asked and, you know, they can say things. They know that if a child has experienced divorce in the family, that that is a point. Um, if a parent was an alcoholic, that's another point. So they assess how many points and they know based on the number of points uh, what you're more likely to, you know, if you're more likely to have behavioral issues in school or have, you know, health problems as an adult. So for me, I, I, you know, I thought, wouldn't it be great if they started screening parents, like as they're, you know, when they find out they're going to have a child or whether. Right. You go to the first appointment and you're making sure. Yeah. Whether you're adopting or whatever your situation is, you know, um, going through finding out a screening, if you've had any trauma and like really address like, well, you know, this trauma might, it might get triggered when you become a parent and here are tools, here are supportive tools that you can do to, to be proactive about it, to help with your healing. I gotta tell you, when I realized what I was experiencing, a calm set over me just in being able to acknowledge what I was going through. And there was so much power just in that. Yeah, no, I get that. Cause even though I haven't like done that work, like I said, just in the fact of me being like <gasps> feeling these uncomfortable feelings and, in, and mm-hmm. wanting to be like, this is wrong. Why are you feeling this way? And then mm-hmm. I, without having anyone, it was like, I think this is related. Like I had yeah. some sort of inner knowledge of like this child trauma and that, so it made me not feel like, yeah, it did. It's like, even though I'm like, okay, I have work to do, but it was like, okay, come back right to the planet, to my daughter. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's uh, man, the amount of strength it takes as a parent to have your own, uh, you know, experience and knowing that 
you know, having like the, your rational brain saying, okay, well, I'm not going to project this onto my child, even though I'm being triggered right now. And you're trying to bring your rational brain back. And like, okay, I'm still a parent. I'm a parent here. <laughs> and, and that's basically what this talk is, is, is about. It's about your own healing and about healing generational trauma and not passing it down um, and, and creating stronger, healthier people. I'm all for it. And I'm so proud of you in this whole life journey that I'm glad you got to go on and that we get to benefit from. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. And yeah, I'll definitely link the TED Talk and the new pro. I don't know if it's new. I'm saying it's new. Is it new? Yeah, I just just finished it. It just came out last month around the same time that the TEDx came out. Okay, perfect. So we'll link the program as well, which I definitely am going to take myself. (laughs) Um, Let me ask you the questions I ask everybody, which is what is a go-to to to raise your joy levels? A go-to to to raise my joy levels. Okay, for me, (laughs) I would say... It doesn't have to be something like super, like some people are like putting pressure on themselves. Like it has to be the perfect, like spiritual, whatever answer, like, like it can be. (laughs) Honestly, for me, um, if I take a shower and put on clothes that make me feel powerful, Mm. (laughs) like, um, you know, especially now that we're all like working from home, um, you know, I can put on, I can keep sweats on all day. Um, and then like put on a professional top when I'm doing video sessions with clients, (laughs) you know, but I find that, um, if I take a shower and put on clothes that make me feel powerful, it instantly changes my mood instantly. So (laughs) that that's always a a go-to for me. Awesome. That's a good one. Let me, I'm going to pull up a list. It's, uh, these are phrases that I have on my keychains for my product line. And I Mm. ask everyone to pick not necessarily which phrase they like the most, but which one they want as a reminder in their life right now and why. Mm. Because I will then send you the Mm. keychain with the phrase. So you will have it as a daily reminder. (laughs) Oh, I love this. I love all of these. Oh my gosh. I like, I'm a badass. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. Why is that one speaking to you? You know, it's so crazy. Um, I, when I found out that I was going to do my TEDx, I, again, suffer from social anxiety. And I was like, okay, I have this important message to, to share. And how am I going to do this? How am I going to get on stage? And the whole thing is memorized. There's no teleprompters. So I, I remember like feeling so passionate about it. And I did some visualization of like, how am I going to do this? And the phrase that kept coming up for me was, I'm a badass. And I didn't, I, I never used that phrase, but what was coming up was like, okay, I'm visualizing I'm a badass. I was imagining myself like in a suit, I'm a badass. Like you have to like, you know, like convince yourself of this. And I remember um, the rehearsal before we do the TEDx, uh, there was a lot of reverb and. um, Oh, shit. (laughs) That's so distracting. Yeah, it was a I think it was it was a theater that they, you know, movie theater originally or something they turned into um, for the stage. And I remember the rehearsal. I went up on stage and I 
was saying my lines and I kept blanking because I kept hearing myself echo back. And I'm like, how am I supposed to think of what's coming next when I keep hearing, repeating myself, like I'm hearing myself repeat. And I, it was like, it was, uh, it was so scary for me. Like I thought I'm going to get head earplugs and I'm going to use earplugs. And then I was like practicing, but I was so divorced from my body. I felt like I was underwater and I was like, there's just no way. And so up until the moment when I had to go up on stage, I was hearing the reverb from the performer before me. And I was like, this is, I'm just, this is going to be like one of the worst experiences. It's too late to back out. And I walked up on stage and I'll never forget it. This calm set over me that I have never in my life experienced. And I remember going up on stage and I got the message of, this isn't about you and your fears. This is about the service that you're going to give to people. I need you to get out of your way. And like, I felt that like strength and like, I'm here, I'm supposed to be here. This is part of my calling. I got that, that message. And I just was, this is, this is a service I'm supposed to be doing. I never had that with acting. I've never had that with an audition and, you know, was able to just deliver the message. And it, I, it was the most calm I felt. It was wow. it felt so much like home. Amazing. So, anyway, that's the long answer of, um, <laughs> no, that's awesome. And that's amazing. Cause yeah, I can't, um, yeah, I'm just, yeah. Visualizing myself on like, cause I want to do a Ted talk to like the, but like, yeah, you want to do something so bad. You believe in your message, but then also like, oh, like yeah, yeah, the nerves of actually standing there. This is it. And it's going to be recorded and there's no do over and there's like whatever that. Yeah. But like, that's so um, important to then. Yeah. It's like, even though it's like, you're the one standing on the stage, but like, why are you doing this? It's not like, you know, like, listen to me. It's because you believe so much in this message you're delivering. Absolutely. Yeah. So good. Absolutely. Okay. Another question I ask everybody is I, I often apply this to my own life of what is easiest for me is not always what is best for me, you know, cause we have these habits or like, it's easier to just go along with something instead of voicing your opinion or to not have the uncomfortable conversation or whatever. So can you think of a way to apply that to your own life? What is easiest for me is to do blank. What is best for me is to do. Right. So, um, this actually, this has come up for me a lot in the past two weeks. Um, and I'll just say it's, it, it's easiest for me to, um, want to play small (laughs) versus, you know, showing up in a way that I'm now being asked to. So, you know, I, for example, uh, the Huffington post reached out to me and I, um, was supposed to comment on the mental health aspect of witnessing police brutality for one article and then another one about, um, uh, six, th- six things white people say that uh, shows our white privilege. And so this past week, you know, past few weeks, I'm like, okay, well, I might get a lot of backlash for this. Like, I don't want to be the target. I don't want uh, negative criticism. Like that kills me. <laughs> but it said, all right, well, also, um, are you trying to help? Are you, you know, people who witness police brutality whether, you know, you know, I want people to know that that's traumatic. Watching these videos is traumatic. Um, ex- witnessing it is traumatic. You don't have to experience it to experience trauma. So, you know, I was like, I can't really serve the world the way that I'm, I'm, I'm being called to and, and live in fear and hide and, and, and not 
comment and not share information. So that that's been the biggest thing that's shown up for me. Yeah, I mean, it kind of seems like that's tied back to even the message you got on the stage, right? Yes. It's like you might yes. be like, oh no, go to the backlash or whatever you want to say about me, but then being like, right. this is bigger than me. Yeah, some people might, right. you know, tell me right. no, this is wrong or whatever. Yeah, and it's interesting because I have gotten, you know, there are some negative comments from people and it it doesn't hurt the way I feared it would. So it's like, who who are those people? <laughs> It really, it, yeah, I built up how bad it was going to be. And it actually hasn't been that, that bad. Good, good. <laughs> but also, yeah, I'm like, well, who are the people that are taking the time to leave? <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> um, all, right, all right. Well, I'm glad that you are, yeah, stepping more up that way. And then, yeah, I mean, it is. Uh, and that's even with the whole, which is the next question is the name of the podcast is claim it, which I mentioned before. And so I'm going to ask you what you're claiming for yourself right now. But yeah, what, you know, we mentioned earlier that I said that we're constantly putting it out there, but you even, you know, touched on it too, is that when you get the audition, like Mm -hmm. it doesn't go away or like, you know, I used to always be focused on, oh, like life will always come at you. There's going to be like hardships, but when Mm. when the good stuff comes, then it's like, oh, you Mm. got asked to Mm. write an article. So you're on mm-hmm. top of the world, right? Nope. Doubt, fear, right. imposter syndrome, right? Like you get the job that you always wanted. You got the promotion. You get like, we think once I have this and people come to me or know me as this, then everything's going to be great. But it's like, nope. <laughs> Doubt, fear, worry, stress. I'm not enough. Who do I think I am? Like it all like keeps going. So every day <laughs> we got to claim it <laughs> for ourselves every moment. So what are you claiming for yourself right now? <laughs> I'm I'm claiming the the ability to be more present to um, having shaped the, a life that I want to live, you know, and feeling content, you know. I want to claim it. You know, sometimes I say to my clients, like, you know, you just said all these things you accomplished. Can you can you imagine five years ago if you know if you were able to speak to your future self and they said, oh, guess what? You did graduate from this. You did, you know, end that horrible relationship or, you know, you did end up having a family or whatever those goals were. You'd be like, oh my God, my life, of course, is going to be great then. You know, if I, I really accomplish these things I set out to do, then I must be so much happier than I am now. Everything's great. I did all that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I sometimes I, I, I take my clients through this process and I take myself through this process of what are the things you said you wanted to do for yourself and look at, at what you've done and try to be really present. There's always going to be more that you want to accomplish. So, you know, just being able to, to claim the things that I have done and to feel entitled to the things I'm working towards, um, you know, this, the service that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, to bring to people. Yes. Love that. And I think probably everyone listening, it's like, no matter where you are in your life that like, yeah, claim, like look back and see where, see where you've already gotten and that. Yeah. We're always going to like want more in like the to-do list will always grow. We put so much pressure on, Oh, I didn't get enough things done. I didn't cross enough things off my list today, this week or whatever. Like 
but a to-do list will never end. You cross those things off, you start a new one. I think like, that's, that's the nature, right? Of a to-do list. <laughs> it's like, like they're, you're never going to get the point of a good <laughs> to-do list. So that I, you know, I think I probably got that from Matthew and Tercy's Engelhardt of the idea of the acknowledgement of yourself. I'm guessing that's where I got that. And so like, that's something that's been so big for me and that I'm always trying to remind myself of in others. And it's like, yeah, acknowledge yourself, acknowledge yourself for what you did today. I'm even thinking for my product line of like, instead of having, like, I do have some, to-do list items, but they're like, fuck yeah, I got this was one. And one of his, I will like do this or whatever. Yes. Calling yes. you more into action. Oh, the other one is I should, I need to is crossed out. I want to is crossed out. And then it says I am exclamation point again to call you into. But I was like, I think I might make a list of, I did it. And instead of you writing down what you didn't do today, just like, I did it. I woke uh, up. I love I that. I love that. I did that. the, you know, like, like, and I did it list. <laughs> Right. That's feeding yourself the positivity and like you probably get way more done. (laughs) Just like it's in you don't write things out like and it could be anything. You'd be like, I didn't do anything to look back at your day. I nourished myself. Yes. I rested. Like we can acknowledge ourselves for so many things, even if it's like I really just later on did nothing today. Well, what did you do? I took care of my soul. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many things we can acknowledge ourselves for people. Stop beating yourself up. I love that. I love that so much. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Abby. Again, I am so proud of you and I can't wait to see what else you continue to put out into the world that is Mm. creating change and shift. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a pleasure. Wow. Aren't you so in love with Abby? Abigail now? I know her as Abby. Uh, definitely there is a link to her TEDx talk and to her program in the show notes. For full show notes, go to yourdwellgist.com slash podcast. You can find all the episodes there. You can find her at Make Peace Therapy. And um, yeah, go watch the TED Talk. Go share the TED Talk. And uh, for all things me, of course, yourdwellgist.com and I'm at yourdwellgist. We love hearing from you. We love knowing that you're listening. We love knowing what spoke to you, what resonated with you. What'd you get from listening to the episode? So please share it and tag us. And I would really, really appreciate if you subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. You know, I love to hear from you. But it also helps the podcast be more discoverable on the listening platforms. And if you go, leave a review, screenshot your review, and send it to me at podcast at yourjoyologist.com, and I'll send you a little gift for my product line. Just like I have everybody pick a keychain, I have loads of different type of products with empowering phrases. And of course, make sure to download my daily inspiration app called Own Your Awesome. Daily inspiration right to your phone. Hundreds of powerful thoughts. Hundreds of powerful affirmations. I'm going to leave you with the final thought. What Abby and I were talking at the very end is acknowledging yourself. So right now, right here, no matter what time of day, no matter what day you are listening to this, what can you acknowledge yourself for right now? Feels good. Do it regularly. Do it as an everyday end of day practice. Acknowledge who you are. Acknowledge what you have done instead of beating yourself up for what you have not. 
claim it for yourself. Claim your worth, claim your value, claim your joy. All right. I'll catch you next week or keep on listening to some more awesome episodes.